0: Hey y'all, you're listening to In the Corner, back by the wood pile.
1: Gotta get political. I'm Spun Counter Guy, thanks for stopping by. If I were to ask the average Joe if hip hop music promoted a particular ideology, one might venture to guess that if anything, it was that of hedonism. And considering What's been played on the radio these last 10 or so years, I'd say that wasn't too far off. But there was a time that the genre was a virtual orchard of pulpits, each track a sermon conveying philosophical or religious ideas picked from African American history and beyond. Here to give us a lecture on those streams of thought is professor of African-American history, Kalanji McClellan. So we had talked earlier about whether history in general, or maybe African-American history, could be found to be told within hip-hop. And you said, yeah, maybe. But more importantly, you said there was a a gospel message, so to speak, not the Christian gospel necessarily, but ideology, if if we wanted to measure the different ideologies that were going on within the black culture in America, hip-hop did do a pretty good job of, depending on the rapper, talking about those kind of different ideas. So you want to expound on that?
0: Hip-hop or rap or whatever you want to do, that whole culture... Came out of Reaganomics. Everybody keeps talking about how under Reagan it was great. What I remember from Reagan is crack, AIDS, and basically the depletion of any resources for uh, schools or any kind of after-school program. You know, basically he destroyed the Johnson administration war on poverty. You know, by getting rid of all the programs that were supposed to help out. And of course, New York is the birthplace for this, and it was the ideal place. Mm-hmm. If you look at New York.
1: You know, during the 70s and 80s, it literally looked like Fallujah. Right. You know. Well, I hear that narrative in a lot of hip-hop books I have. But don't you think that some of that started maybe because of the war on poverty a little bit? You know, some of the programs that were a little bit flawed, we'll say. Or maybe, what they say, um, propped up poverty in a way or kept it at a certain level. And then also Nixon after Johnson. And then... Also, the mayors of, the, of these cities that where all this blight was, do you feel like that they share any blame for some of that?
0: Yeah, they could share some blame. I mean, my personal experience, you know, when I was growing up, I remember, and it was like in real time, this is what kind of threw me off. Because it was something to get us feral kids basically not running the streets and doing Lord of the Flies. Right. Uh, and during the weekends, we used to have this one program where we'd go to this basement and had all this, you know, you know they showed movies and had all this stuff going on. And then in real time, it, like, stopped. It, like, disappeared. Uh-huh. And then, you know, we were left to... So that had, of-
1: that had been a federal program? Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Um, but don't get me wrong. Yeah, there were some issues underlining that. But when Reagan came in, and pretty much... You can just say he was the coup de grace, so to mm-hmm. speak. You know, he kind of pulled the trigger to put, you right. know, Lenny to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and for a lot of these kids, there was nothing for them to do. You know, there was gangs and things of that nature. But uh, because of extenuating circumstances... They were able to pull whatever resources they had and create this new art form. You know, I look at rap is kind of a hybrid of blues, jazz, you know, rock. I mean, even now, I mean, rap is pretty much what rock was in the 80s. If rock had the internet we probably still be walking around spandex and eyeliner and lipstick. Mm-hmm. When it comes to talking about hip-hop and rap, especially in the black culture, and I always get into these arguments, and I always tell people that the one thing that people fail to realize is that people up that, are de- that are descended from the diaspora are probably more American than anybody else because we were bred for this country. Where Everybody else came here with an identity. They came here with an ethnicity. We were literally you know, eugenics 101, we were bred for this country, we were bred for the ideology, we were bred for the workforce, and unfortunately, and people wonder why there's this manic, or they appear to be this manic behavior sometimes, or mannerisms, it's a lot of times, it deals with the fact that the matter is that, when you look at hip-hop, you look at rap, you know, whether it seems like the bravado, or challenging the system, or even certain kind of madness, people might assume, it's dealing with the concept, as Du Bois said, "double consciousness." You're American and you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, you were born and bred here because we have no culture. Technically, we have no identity because we have no language. Um, you know, there's no, you know, Ghana Day. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, St. Patrick's right. Day or something like that. And it's just
1: trying to navigate those waters. It's interesting you say all that because I had a minister, a black minister, a few episodes ago, talk about almost what you were saying. That somehow, like the Jews, you know, they've kept their culture, you know, Mexicans, they've kept their culture, and yet still, in a way, assimilate to, to American culture somewhat. I mean, they, they have one foot in both worlds. They have fared a whole lot better, which I guess he was saying that the, a lot of African Americans have, like, a foot nowhere, in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're a, a, a group of individuals without no no land to a certain extent, mm-hmm. or no home base. I mean, you have the Ashkenazi Jews, the you know who came from Germany in mm-hmm. that you know scenario, who pretty much picked up the banner of um, you know Judaism and kind of carried that torch on to now. Uh, same for the Falasha and everything else, mm-hmm. and I mean even Mexicans to a certain extent. I mean, even their identity is interesting because they're a mix of the conquistadors as well as the indigenous population. Right. Because right. uh, I mean, I had an officer in the military would tell me that, you know, his, his culture, his ethnic identity has only been around for 500 years. You know, but the difference is they were still allowed to, to keep their identity. It's kind of an, a, 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 a melding of two worlds. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the islands, Cuba, Haiti, they still have some African... Um, connection. Mm-hmm. If you look at you know the religious practices, even the Gullah islands here in the United States, mm-hmm. um, New Orleans is another one because they were mm-hmm. occupied by the mm-hmm. French. The French, even though they were colonizers, they were a little bit odd on how they colonized. You know, they still kept you uh, oppressed, but they at least kept let you have a certain identity. Right. And that's what I've always noticed whenever you see people coming from either the islands or even from New Orleans who are like homebred. You know, they still have their. Um, roots they understand those echo chambers of that that are going on whereas we have those echo chambers but we're not really quite sure where it's at you know we're blindfolded going through a dark tunnel
1: we could yeah do a whole podcast on the french and their uh, their history with race i mean to give a quick snapshot the fact that you know they welcomed american black musicians especially in the 20th century Mm -hmm. and treated them fairly when when they weren't treated well in america and yet this is the same country that Help the Confederacy financially <laughs> you know oh, yeah so I mean it's just every country has their contradictions I guess oh yeah I
0: mean like you know Britain Europe all of them like condemned race you know they condemned slavery and what was going to the United States, but they had colonies but you know going back to you know rap then I've always said that there's always this double standard you know everybody kind of romanticized the rock and roll star you know the drunken the tearing up the hotels you know yeah. you know
1: getting in the gunfights and fighting everything and they're like oh yeah, you wouldn't want that guy in your neighborhood. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But you know. like his records, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like his records,
0: but yet when it comes to rap, they kind of condemn this as being—they're um, like the new rock stars, so to speak. But they yeah. kind of condemn. It's always been this double standard in the black culture. It's like if you would have took Breaking Bad and changed the melanin of all the actors, it would have never been as successful. You know, it would have somewhere or the other, it would have got some negative connotation you know, one way or the other. Who is the man, that kid there?
1: Who is the chick with the pick in her hair? Angela or Davis and we roll like Avis. Rent a car, kid, there you are. So, within hip-hop, talk about some of the different, I, I don't know if you would call them religions or philosophies that some rappers are a part of.
0: In the main one up in New York is the Gods and Earths, the 5%ers. The one way you can actually talk about them is they always say that the nation of islam because nation of islam we'll get to them in a second how their biggest recruitment was from the prisons the gods and earths they recruit people underneath the prison you know they're about as street as you can get and it came from clarence 13x who followed malcolm x you know in the mosque up in uh, new york but when malcolm left so did he because he kind of did his research and he kind of understood that there were some things in that religion that just didn't drive with him. He took some of the teachings. It's almost like numerology. You know, you have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. That's like one, two, three. And then, of course, you combine them for various things. And it goes up to
1: zero, which is, you know, the perfect. So the, the gods in earth, they're essentially Muslim in a, in a vague way. More of a way
0: of, I guess, to consider a philosophy, a way of life. You can almost compare them to like Suki's, like a mystic to a certain thing. One of the core things is that, you know, 100% of Africans, you know, of the diaspora is brought to the United States. Mm -hmm. Out of that, 85% are, you know, deaf, dumb, and blind. They don't understand their situation or why Mm -hmm. things are. And then you have that 10% who do. The pimps of poverty, pimps of religion, those who lead people astray. Then you have that 5%, you know, the poor righteous teachers who are trying to... Liberate those individuals.
1: So, hence the name, the Five Percenters. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I'm a righteous teacher from the heart, praising God. All praises due to a law, seven saw. The holy intellect being taught, Rahab. I'm not here to promise any gold, lessons told. A about a that type. I this I actually had somebody send me over some information. Kind of curious, you know, what are some of your other reading materials and your other, you know, other artifacts? And they literally sent me over this reading list that they require, and it was like 120 books. Had everything from Elijah Muhammad down to think and grow rich and anything else you can imagine in between and a lot of times they read those books and then they kind of talk about it kind of like a, I don't know if you want to call it an oral report to a certain extent to see if you can actually not to say that I'm going to tell you you're wrong but to see where your mind is in and see if you can understand and what's so fascinating about it and I've always thought about this as an educator is looking into how they were able to get these guys these like kids who are you would not assume that they were they were capable of this not to say they're not capable but you would be surprised to see they had that actual interest and actually get them into this and um, and a lot of times they get in trouble at school because they come in ultimately with a college you know in in intellect in an underfunded school and then they are seen rebellious and other issues and you want to get kicked out but if you look at early hip-hop before the bling-bling era took over, whether it's like poor righteous teachers, brand new beans, Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, so they were all influenced by gods and earth. Yeah, it's like a New York. It's like if you look at New York MCs, you're, you're almost like three degree separation. One way or the other, you're going to run across them because they were in Harlem. They actually have a school in Harlem. And like I said before, they dealt with, it actually came out of the Johnson administration, moral poverty or what have you, mm. and they were able to secure a building. And they're able to get kids to come in, able to teach them and everything else. But you know, the bling bling era happened and things, you know, Puff Daddy and all that stuff kinda kinda changed the way uh monetized things. Master Farad Muhammad, yes, a man.
1: Born February 26, 1877. He not the originator of the heavens and the earth. No, he wasn't here then,
2: but he's from that same line. But his knowledge is so great that it supersedes the wisdom even of his father. Now listen to this. He was so wise, so says the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. The man pictured and extracted the language of the people on Mars. He spoke the language of the birds. Talked to the wild beasts, man.
1: Give a brief history of the nation of Islam because I don't, again, some folks may think it's, just straight-up Islam.
0: It was originally found by Master Farad, um, and they believe he's the Mahdi, or like, the whole thing is that allegedly, Master Farad came to Elijah Muhammad. You know, he's supposed to be God in human form, or what have you. Basically, he gave him this knowledge. You know, and that's when you get the white you know, white folks' devil, and it was not Orthodox Islam. But people gotta realize that this was like the turn of the century. So if you go to a black person, say a white person's the devil, you know, there's enough evidence there to probably you're like, OK, you know, that's, that's that rings true. <laughs> you know, because a lot of them came from the black, you know, the great right. migration from the right. south. So, you know, a lot of them like, yeah, because they're like one generation, two generation removed from slavery. Sure. So um, uh, it just didn't catch on like it was supposed to. One of the things they actually did was they started teaching their own kids. They actually had their own school. Um, and In Michigan, one time, when the truancy office tried to come up, they tried to get the kids, and they were like, over a dead body. You know? And That was one thing I really thought was unique. Because you know, they were sending the kids to these schools to learn about things that are not going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's their psyche, there was no heroes and was that looked like them. Um, and they were always told that their history started with slavery. Hmm. Whether it's you know, the diet that they may or may not get, you know, structure in a certain extent, mm-hmm. and it was not until Malcolm X, who was converted in prison, when he took it and basically made the Nation of Islam what it is today.
2: Well, uh, 22 million so-called American Negroes, who originally was brought into the Western Hemisphere by the white man to do his service and not to do our service, they have served that time out. And now it is no need for the white man nor for the so-called Negro to sit down at no such thing as a conference table to try to bring up some kind of agreement to live together and share together whatever is here. There is about nine white men out of ten that will not agree with no such th- uh, agreement that the Negro share equally with them. Not even us have any
0: social
1: equality with them.
0: The thing about Elijah Muhammad is, and this is my own theory. Is and
1: Elijah Muhammad took over after. Oh,
0: yeah, Farrar, and apparently, Farrar disappeared. They're not really quite sure what happened to him. <laughs> and there's all these theories. All right. You know, nobody really knows. Elijah Muhammad, oh, another thing I would always say is that Elijah Muhammad, he was very influential. When Martin Luther King met him in Chicago, certain things kind of changed with martin i don't know what they talked about but martin started becoming more somewhat radical not just radicalized but uh, he stopped sticking to the script so to speak mm-hmm. and i mean he's always talked about certain things if you listen to i have a dream speech you know you know this gave us a promissory note mm-hmm. and we're here to collect but he started to broaden his his scope so to speak and you know he started looking at of poverty. You start mm-hmm. looking at more of a human rights instead mm-hmm. of a civil rights because human rights should come before civil rights because, you know, you can't have civil rights if your human rights are being violated. Mm-hmm. But the thing people don't realize, Elijah Muhammad sent a lot of his kids to Egypt and to other places to learn actual Orthodox Islam. And he understood that you really can't force feed people who were Judeo-Christian by choice, by, you know, base. Um, traditional Islam. Mm -hmm. It just won't fly. Mm -hmm. You know, it was already hard enough to get people from the South to give up pork. (laughs) You know, it's just, you know, it's it's hard to do. But he was slowly trying to lead folks in that way. Subsequently, unfortunately, when he passed away, his son, W.D. Muhammad, took Islam or took the nation into more Orthodox. But Farrakhan decided to take those disenfranchised back into the fold of Nation of Islam. And, you know, it is what it is today.
1: Let me get it clear here. So, Elijah Muhammad, eventually Malcolm X took that or he made it more popular. But those two had a falling out, right?
0: What happened was is that Elijah was old and he surrounded himself with, you know, you know, wolves in the hen house. And they just whispered in his ear because Malcolm, even though Malcolm, every time he talked, he always said the Honorable Elijah Muhammad this, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that. But in their ears, they were talking to him, saying, oh, he's going to take your job, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And he decided to create a wedge. And then, of course, when he spoke out against JFK, you know, the chickens come home to roost. Mm-hmm. You know, that was unfortunately, that was... Me, the-
1: when JFK was assassinated... Mm-hmm. Malcolm X comment, well, the chickens come home to roost, yeah, right? You
0: know, but yeah, the falling out was more of people talking into his ear because Elijah, because Malcolm never really had a father figure because his father was mm-hmm. taken from him when he was young. Mm-hmm.
2: And I had uh, stated in a newspaper article about an effort to take my life back in January and at that time the Muslims denied it. Why are they threatening your life? Well, uh primarily because they're afraid that i will tell the real reason that they've been that i'm out of the black muslim movement, which i never told i kept to myself but the real real reason is that elijah muhammad the head of the movement is the father of eight children by six different teenage girls six different teenage girls who were his private personal secretary
1: at least in the the book i seem to remember he was disappointed greatly too by Elijah Muhammad's like many many affairs. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I mean yeah. When you start looking the research, and he just realize it's kind of like under, realizing that Santa Claus don't exist. <laughs> yeah. You know, because to him Elijah was you know his father, right. and father cannot do no wrong. Yeah. Like I said, he actually ate, slept, and breathed the the ideology. I mean, he literally lived in he lived in poverty. He, you know, he followed the script, mm-hmm. whereas everybody else was taking money from the coffers, and he didn't really understand. You know, he didn't really see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, But again, to the Nation of Islam, they were one of the few religious entities that recruited from the prison. Because a lot of times when folks got out of the prison, even though they would claim to be, you know, Christian faith or what have you, they didn't want to be around you. You know, they would go, you know, there have been times, you know, where they would literally sit with a man or a woman who was detoxing and make sure that that person would be okay.
1: Yeah, to the Nation of Islam's credit, I've heard prison wardens say... Yeah, you know, we don't agree with some of their ideology. That's maybe racist or hateful, or however they want to put it. But they definitely made the f- folks under them disciplined and behave. You know, unless there was some, uh, you know, miscarriage of justice. You know, they transformed a lot of oh, yeah. uh, bad folks into you know somewhat uh, civilized. I guess you would say.
0: And to be honest, the nation. They, even though their ideology, as you can say, was, you know, was not, you know, was was bigoted.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But they never went out and attacked nobody. They always stayed within their neighborhood. And the thing when I was in San Diego is that and it's the interesting thing is that if you see two individuals with both ties beating up another black man, nine times out of ten it was the nation of Islam police in the community. And the cops would probably stop, look, and just keep going. <laughs> because they understand that they control this right. segment. And while they're there, there's no going to be no issues. And they're right. not like...
1: It's kind of like the mob was left to handle their own internal <laughs> you know, problems yeah. however they wanted.
0: They attribute Haji help to another God in need. He Allah God is long as I proceed to civilize the uncivilized word of wisdom to the groove from the wise. On, I on. guess I'm like the verbal of old the back I'm moving black with this asiatic black man is a dog spelled backwards. The maker, the owner, the cream of the plant. The universe. In the early 90s, you always had rappers that would always bring up Nation of Islam. Again, Brand Nubians, all those individuals would bring up Farrakhan because it was the, the Million Man March. Right. And that was like the basically the, the renaissance.
1: So they may have not actually joined, but, but their influence.
0: Yeah, or they might have joined and then they might have said no. Sometimes what happens is the track goes Nation of Islam, then they're like, eh. And then they go to Gods and Earth. You know, when you listen to rap and everything else, you know, again, in the early 90s, even to a certain extent now, but mostly in the 90s and 80s and things like that, Farrakhan would always come up. And that was attributed basically to, you know, the Million Man March, you know, and a lot of other things that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was that that movie that came out, Get on the Bus, which, Mm -hmm. you know, was one of Spike Lee's good movies that just never really got the attention. And then, of course, you had... Um, the more science temple 7 which to be honest my knowledge on them is very limited to a certain extent they've taken kind of a streamlined version of islam they were actually predates the nation and the story goes is that far took some information from the uh, more science temple 7 if you see them they're in their fez their book is I think maybe like hundred and thirty pages or something like that. We born builders as life takes its toll. Legends of the seven embrace my soul. Transported off the planet by a supreme force. And told to return on the day of Pentecost. I bisect the ways between heaven and earth. And scramble messages from God until your church. Deception blinds of perception. My reflection. Outsides the other colors in the spectrum. And then of course you have Nuwabians who are kind of relatively new. Um, and I wouldn't really call them a religion, per se. I really wouldn't really know what you can call them because Dr. Malachi York basically he took every single kind of religion that's out there and he kind of adapted to his own ideology. And, you know, one minute he was a Muslim and he re- did all this books and stuff. And I got books up there right now. And then the books are interesting because when it comes to places of gods and things like that, he would literally have a drawing of him in there. And what I find fascinating about a lot of these books is because they are well-researched you know, he had a book debasing or questioning Islam, and it's like a thousand page book, but it's extremely well-researched and written really well, and it's almost disturbing, considering the fact this was like 1990, and he's put out tons of books like this. How? I don't know. Then, of course, he was morphed into some kind of Masonic individual, then later on, towards the end of his downfall, he became some kind of I think he incorporated some Egypt ideology? Outcast, the one Atlians, A T L Atlians,
1: A T yeah, yeah, Atlians. Yeah. If you listen to
0: some of it, it has some moderate references to uh, what he did. He went to literally, he went to he went to Georgia of all places and build Black Egypt. To me, that's the last place I'm going to build anything. <laughs>
1: yeah, give him an A for effort.
0: <laughs> yeah, but but subsequently, you know. I will actually, I have not read the court cases but he was charged with you know a lot of sex crimes pedophile and apparently he set the record and allegedly they stopped counting the charges. And there's some other issues, and eventually they tore it down and statues were a portion off and everything else. There were three sets of three dead arose from mm-hmm. the fourth division of darkness. It was before light, before energy, before matter, before time and space, before having a body, before the creation of inheritance, a soul before possessing a spin or toast. Energy was vasting into one form as the universe. But you have Lost Children of Babylon is the most prominent group, and that whole ideology is just th- just riddled throughout their uh, through their music, and they still support him. And I've like so I got some of his books, and they're very protective of their literature. I just happened to luck out one time on the eBay, greatest thing ever, and they had a bunch of his books on sale for like you know, normally these books are going for like $30, 40 bucks, and they're going for ten dollars five dollars. Like when it comes to these alternative religions or these alternative way of life. Um, people can sometimes look at the traditional church setting of the Christian church or the black church as a paradox because, yes, they have led very important legislative pieces. They protest things like that, but on the opposite side, they've also put things at perimeter because they want that safe space. You know, and also they've been used to, as well as to be the hand of the oppressor. Whenever they were doing the boycott, the church wasn't really on board at first. You know, it was mainly the youth, the young, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Martin the King had to drag her by kicking and screaming, so to speak. Uh-huh. And then when it was successful, they jumped on board. But on the flip side as well is they, they don't really, they're not as forward-thinking at times. You have some churches that are do great things, and you have others that don't. But, you know, a lot of them are disillusioned. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times they show up, or because of criminal past, the churches shun them. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything with them. But yet there's these alternatives regardless of the fact of whatever the ideology may be because sometimes they get this and it gets them focused enough where they go okay this is not for me and they go segue somewhere else right. and they go do other things if we leave america and go over to the east of japan they will be telling their fellow citizens of japan of the wonderful accomplishments of the japanese people proving that man is moving onward as time moves on but you you have hated yourselves as you have done in previous years You have shown malice, prejudice, and hate to each other. And the result is that while other races have made progress, while India has made progress towards nationalism, while Ireland has made progress towards republicanism, while the whole world has made progress in man's accomplishments, you still stand fighting yourselves, dishonoring yourselves, showing no disposition toward that higher life, so that you will be abundantly blessed. Marcus Garvey, he had the largest black organization. He came from the islands. You know, his whole thing was black unity you know we need our own identity we need a culture we need a flag and his whole thing was to go back to Africa unfortunately some plants on the inside set him up they got him a mail fraud something crazy he went to jail he could have died in jail but they wanted but he got him out because they didn't want to make him a martyr and then they deported him and then there's actually a a song by Dead Press called Malcolm Garvey Huey talking about those are the three people you need to read Huey P Newton, Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X, you know, because they all talk about Pan Africanism, you know, self identity. We study Malcolm Garvey Huey, Malcolm Garvey Huey, Malcolm Garvey Huey, Bunchy Bobby packin Tookie, sitting by the door so you can say I'm acting spooky.
1: Well, speaking of Garvey, I know that for a while I think he might have entertained communism, or at least was looking into it, but he eventually concluded it was just another way of white people controlling black people. Do you know much about the influence of Marxism in hip-hop at all? And I also say this, Chuck D, who neither me or you are big fans of, he also has openly said like some of his philosophy, although it's kind of hard to comprehend exactly what it is, you know, part of it is a little bit of Marxism mixed in with traditional black empowerment and some other things.
0: Marxism on paper looked really great. That's how they got Paul Robeson. Yeah. And actually the Invisible Man, Ralph Ellison, kind of touches on the brotherhood. That was pretty much... That was communism. Mm-hmm. Dr. John Henry Clark was even talking about how they give this this painted picture of a utopia. But it's still another form of oppression. Right. Because when they took Paul Robeson, they pretty much, they staged a tour. They took him, they showed him all the great things. In the
1: Soviet Union. Yeah, right. in the
0: Soviet Union. He comes back and say it's the greatest thing that ever happened to black folks. Right. And then, like I said, when you talk to black folks who basically their relationship with Mother Liberty is, you know, kind of like the redheaded
1: stepchild. So you can see why yeah, I can on paper what... it, it would appeal to anybody, yeah, I mean, especially it, yeah. if you're in a in a bad straits so and you're not oh, treated yeah. fairly. Yeah. Like James Baldwin
0: even said that one of the greatest anomalies is that black America itself has not, you know, basically reacted violently, especially in the South. And that's just one of those things that people don't understand that shortly after slavery, if every black person who was enslaved decided to kill every person that was not melanated it kind of been justifiable so you know those be like are,
1: haiti almost like you can kind of as vicious as that was and a lot of innocent people got killed to sound overture yeah and you can kind of understand yeah, yeah,
0: and and I mean, unfortunately you know the thing about it is is that they can grant you your freedom but they're not going to support you if you don't have partnerships you can be a free country but you'd be a free poor country that's what happened to haiti and haiti's still paying for it they're kind of like the precursor to cuba as i said before it's It looks good on paper. A lot of black folks gather to it because this whole utopia thing and, you know, sharing the wealth and it sounds
2: good. We know now that more fundamental than these important rights is the economic organization of the world. That is, the way in which the labor of human beings is organized to satisfy human needs. This question is so fundamental that all other questions of political power, of education, and human happiness depend upon it. This is the basic reason for the rise of philanthropy, of socialism, and the attempt at complete realization of socialism through communism.
1: W.E.B. Du Bois was an enormous influence, especially in the early 20th century. How do you perceive he still influenced hip-hop?
0: I see just his whole notion of just the black intellect, just bettering yourself. And the problem that Du Bois ran into, I will always say, is that he was too smart. He he was in a residential going 100 miles an hour. He was literally one of the smartest people in the room. He walks into a room, he's probably the smartest person. You know, he was doing infographics without you know, a computer. He was literally drawing charts and graphs. The U.S. launches experiment in democracy and pawned us off as his most virulent property Its original text denied its seminal bequest to the sons of Ham, Kush, Nubia, Egypt But I suppose that is how experiments go There's not a genre he has not touched. The downside is, is that, you know, one of his big books is he actually did on reconstruction. And he talks about the race relations. He talks about those things. And it's a very good book. Bobby Still actually told me to read that book, of all people. Just his DNA. But a lot of individuals' DNA. Um, not just Du Bois, but Booker T. Washington, Marcus Garvey. Interesting enough, they, Du Bois and Marcus Garvey did not necessarily see eye to eye, per se. Um, and they had some very choice words towards each other. And I think part of it is because Du Bois intellectually was very smart and he just couldn't understand why this, you know, guy from the backwoods of Jamaica or whatever can galvanize this huge movement, you know, because he was supposed to be the heir apparent to, you know, black liberation. You know, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington actually invited uh, Marcus Garvey to speak at Tuskegee. and wow. you know, But, uh, you know, he died, you know, before it could actually come into fruition. Hmm. Booker T.'s notion of do-for-self, create kind of a sustaining economic infrastructure. Du Bois' whole concept of just don't take what somebody gives you. You
1: know, Marcus Garvey,
0: Black Identity.
2: Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee.
1: Tennessee. Back in the 80s, I was a big hip-hop fan. It was the first music that I had listened to that wasn't my parents' music for the most part. And back then, it was pretty fun stuff like Houdini or, uh, you know, Curtis Blow, The Fat Boys, and that kind of thing, just Fun party and bragging about yourself. And these guys weren't the first to to have a a message, but the ones that stuck out to me the most, that appealed to me the most, was a group called Arrested Development. And most people know they had a song called Tennessee. On that record, you had them, you had a song called Give a Man a Fish which was advocating self-reliance.
2: Give a man a fish, and he'll eat for a day.
0: Teach him how to fish, and he'll eat forever.
1: You had children play with Earth, which was encouraging parents to get their kids outside. Dig your hands in the dirt. Children play with Earth. You had mamas always on stage. It was in praise of mothers, mm-hmm. uh, I think especially even single mothers, and and even... Uh, mentioning, like, your conscience told you not to abort.
0: abort.
1: This record was all over the place. I thought it was just a breath of fresh air. It blew my mind because I'd never heard anything like that all in one setting. What's your memories of Arrested Development and their political messages, and can you distill the source of their philosophy? I
0: think they were just kind of taking everything that was out there I hate to use the word new age, but they were a unique source. I mean, you had a lot of individuals who maybe like knew the bohemian look and everything mm-hmm. else, but they were like the ones that actually did the whole commune thing. They brought that whole 60s vibe back.
1: Yeah, they were part hippies, part bohemians, like you're saying. Very conservative, I mean, because they had this, all the this self-reliant stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And just very independent thinkers, I would say, at least for that one record. I don't know if it was
0: a stunt to get money or what, because the moment they blew up, they blew up. <laughs> that's I mean, true, yeah. I mean, they did one album, they did the second album, they had a live album, and then they were gone. Yeah. And They just splintered, which was very interesting. You well, know? They
1: had too many people in the group, for one thing. I would say that's the first problem. Yeah. Anybody who's been in a band knows it's hard enough to keep four people happy and not from killing each other, but they had such an enormous group.
0: Oh yeah, and you know, and then too I always say that, you know, when you start making money yeah, um, changes everything. You know, it's like why do I want to farm when I can afford the grocery store now? <laughs> we can still do all this but I don't think I wanna, you know, go without water anymore. Right, you know, which, I've been on tour and I was in Paris.
1: No, I'm not going back to this. Which proves you know, the best art comes out of struggle. Yeah, yeah, And when you're not struggling, it's kind of hard to get inspired while you're sitting in your mansion.
0: Well, you know, they always say, never I listened to somebody, and there was this, I can't remember who to individual this interview, but he's always saying that if you listen to musicians, their first five albums are the first three to five albums are the ones that you get the more bang because they're still close to their home base, mm-hmm. depending on the, the the time difference when they put out the albums. Mm-hmm. But usually three to five, like the three to five albums they originally put out. And after that... It's just, you know, whatever. We're just coasting. You know, the Beatles are an exception, you know, to the rule. And you have a few other exceptions to the rule. But for the most part...
1: Yeah, but with the Beatles, I mean, you think as individuals, they were phoning it in, in my opinion, for the rest of their lives, with the exception of George Harrison. And I know I might get stoned for saying that, but uh, I'm I'm going to stand by it.
0: (laughs) Well, George Harrison, they always say the coolest Beatles died, you know, John Lennon and George Harrison. They're no longer around. Now we got Ringo and Paul. It's like... Can we get the hologram and kinda <laughs> you know we can just push them to the back, you know? And Ringo was not really all that great of a drummer.
1: You know, but interestingly enough, sometimes I'll hear some song on the radio, I'm like, Who's that? and it's Ringo. I'm like, you yeah, know, that's a really interesting song as you know, as a solo artist. This stuff is a little more interesting, I think, than at least Paul and John, but go ahead. But uh, <laughs> How we got into subject? Yeah,
0: yeah. But no, no, it's just that, uh, you know, for the most part, though, when it comes back to Arrested Development, their message was good. You know, like you said, they were talking about, they were not necessarily political in a sense, but they had a black consciousness. Sure. That was unique. Of course, people always talk about, let's go to Tennessee, and a lot of people like, I don't want to go to Tennessee. That's where bad things happened to me back <laughs> in the day.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, that's his time in the desert, Tennessee. If you were listening to the lyrics, yeah. you know he's asking God why mm-hmm. why all these things in his life led up to that point.
2: I know you're supposed to be my spirit not just my spare tire. The Lord, I ask you to be my God and the force truth. Some it had to be. He me
1: to and we're going to close this episode with a story from our old-timey DJ friend, Dirk Allman, over in Charlotte, North Carolina, who a little while back had an encounter with one of the groups we talked about earlier. It
2: was about a year and a half ago, maybe, I was in Plans of Midwood in Charlotte. Somewhat of a funky arts district of Charlotte, very bohemian. You know, you see a lot of guys and gals with tattoos and, you know, kind of tore up clothes of course, I heard a lot of them were on trust funds or something. Somebody wrote on the bathroom wall one time at one of the places that, I the Midland was a retirement community for people in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I was doing an open mic at uh, Legion Brewing. I, you know, I played some records for the hipsters and millennials or whatever. And I was packing up, and, and I see a place called Petra's. I see all these. Uh, Young black men, I would say, I mean, you know, in their 20s, 30s, whatever, they all come out wearing red vests. You know, I thought, is this a sonic convention or a light hall or something I've never heard of? And, and they all come out, and I, I get to talking to them. You know, it seems like I'm, I'm like Will Rogers, never met a man I didn't like. I, I'll start up a conversation with just about anybody. And, and I said, you know, I got a red vest just like that in my car the reason I did is I had helped out at another place called Tommy's Pub. They'd had World Goth Day. And since I I have a vintage Halloween display, uh, I was allowed to come in and see all the goth people play and got a little pay for it. And I set up my Halloween decorations. And when it was between the acts to keep things going, after they finished playing gothy ambient music or semi-metal. I was playing Pat Boone records. I mean, only in my world would that ever happen. <laughs> but you know, it worked, but everybody liked it. And so I was going to wear that red fence, but the, the tap kept getting in my face. So, anyhow, I threw it in the car. It had been in there for a few weeks, I think. And I saw it. I didn't know there were the wars. And I said, dude, I got a red fence in my car. I want to show it to you. And I, th- I think they thought I was just, joshing them you know and I pulled it out of the car I stuck it on my head it said uh, I think Suez or something temple I think it was of a local lodge hall here in Charlotte it's pretty famous and does a lot with the Shriners and the Bird Hospital and all that and I put it on my head and they were just absolutely impressed that, you know this white fella, he has a he has a red
1: test too
2: <laughs> and I get to talking to them and it seemed like The main guy was head of the group, he didn't have a red vest, he had like an Arabic, I don't know what you call those, headdress. Everybody started digging out their iPhones and whatever and recording me talking. And and the head guy with the Arabic headdress, he made this bizarre statement, well, maybe you knew us in another life. Okay. (laughs) And that's why you have a red vest too, I said, Is this a lot hall?" He said, No, we're, we're the Moors. And they told me they were with the Moorish temple. The only authority we submit to is to the local sheriff of the county. And he had some little thing hanging on his belt saying that that's who they would submit authority to, but otherwise they wouldn't pay attention to any other authority other than the county sheriff. You know, we got talking, and the head guy with the Arabic address, he wanted my phone number and he put it in his phone. I thought, well, you know, these interesting people here. I thought, well, let me go look this up online. I found a Moore's Temple was kind of one of those back-to-Africa movements that started, I think, in Chicago in the 20s, 1920s, when there was the big, you know, black migration from the South wanting to get away from Jim Crow and, you know, segregation laws and all that, go up there and work in the factories, work in Detroit and things like that. And it's been so far from home, these movements sprang up, and, uh, you know, like Marcus Garvey and all that. Mm-hmm. What I read there was a splinter group of the Moorish Temple that the regular Moorish Temple established, still having their headquarters in Chicago, is kind of disavowed, and Problems started happening around here in uh, Mecklenburg County and the uh, Union County next door about boars taking over houses and squatting, squatting in them. And how are they doing this? Well, you know, we had to crash the housing crisis, and there were a lot of foreclosed houses, some that were vacant, and it seemed like this splinter group under Admiralty laws or some and some kind of laws above we normally have as well, felt it was their right to take these houses and, and, and in order to get a key into those houses so they could get a locksmith to let them in, it seemed they were going to the register of deed's office uh, from of Union County and filing bogus deeds. I don't know how in the world you pull that off. Mm-hmm. And when they filed a bogus deed, they could go see a locksmith and say, see, we have a deed to the house and we need the house unlocked so we can get in and get in the house and then claim it was theirs. And, you know, the the police would have to get involved in court orders and everything, and the owners would be upset, you know, I need to get these people out of here and try to sell this house. Eventually, you know, the, they would be, be removed and, you know, they had to get out of there. And when I thought, oh, dear, I gave this man my telephone number, I hope they're not thinking about doing a deed-snatching here. <laughs> you not know, kind of worried me. But... My house is occupied, and if anybody tried to squat in this house with all the records and Victrolas, old radios and books and knickknacks and giggles and things sort of stacked to the ceiling, I mean, I'm a hoarder for history, I admit it, and uh, it'd be awful hard if anybody squatted squat here. I hadn't seen my couch in years full of records. Uh, nothing ever came of it, no harm was done to me or anything, because this wasn't a foreclosed house or a baking house, and that seemed
0: to be the target. The rhetoric of Martin King just ain't around no more. The Bowie ain't here. James Ball and They all were leaders, but they ain't helped me get this boss two seater.
1: If you'd like to ruminate some more on African American history, you should check out in the cornerback by the woodpile episode 158. Also featuring Mr. McClellan, who talks about Hubert Harrison, Booker T. Washington, W.E.D. Du Bois, and others. Or if you'd like to hear about some of the hip-hop artists that promoted the gospel message in their lyrics, give episode 146 a listen, featuring John J. Thompson. Or, if Mr. Almond seems like a guy you'd like to hear more from, we had him on back on episode 164 to talk about vintage Christmas music. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail... You can email us at SpunCounterGuy at Hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya.
0: Every word we use, it has a capacity. And if you don't understand the words you're using and understand the capacity of it, you are using words that is creating a destiny for you that you don't even know or even conscious of.